Hello, listeners, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Always Drive podcast. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and if you're new to the show, this is a weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as Pauly Shore does his acting career. If you've listened before, welcome back, and I'm sorry I haven't developed a better voice in the past month. Now, we're between auto shows, but there has been the 2017 National Auto Dealers Association Conference this week, which has given us not a whole lot of interesting content. But hey, we still have some good things to get through, so let's kick it over to the news. Our top story this week is that the world has a new largest global auto manufacturer. Uh, Toyota this year was beaten by, of all companies, Volkswagen, who sold 10.3 million vehicles compared with Toyota's 10.2. Now, this may come as a surprise to you if you're listening in the U.S. because of the massive Dieselgate scandal that really embroiled Volkswagen throughout all of 2016. And it's true that sales have declined in the U.S. and in Brazil and in Russia, but their growth in Europe and in China was so massive that it was able to overcome the declines domestically in the U.S. to ultimately push them over the top and become the world's largest auto manufacturer. What's surprising here is that the Dieselgate scandal also happened in China, and Volkswagen actually took out billboard ads to alert drivers, but because of the thick black smog in China's cities, drivers couldn't see the billboards. Uh, Daimler-Benz and Nissan, meanwhile, are reevaluating their collaboration on an upcoming Mexican plant. Uh, their intent there was to share platforms and reduce costs, and while the factory is still going to get built, the scope of the project may change. For instance, they may not use the same platforms, but they may have some technology partnerships that reduce costs. Now, they aren't saying that this is directly a result of uh, Trump's threat of an import tariff, but that can't be helping matters. Uh, taxes are going to make these cars cost more if they get implemented, and a threat of taxes alone is already scaring away potential partnerships that could be driving down costs. So this has not ended up positively for anyone involved, and it will be interesting to see how this story develops. The long march towards uh, the grave for mid-sized cars continued again in January, with sales being down 21% versus the same month last year. Uh, that means 30,000 fewer models were sold, with only the Mazda 6 and the VW Passat seeing increases in year-over-year -year sales. According to the Truth About Cars, January was the 10th consecutive month of year-over-year -year decline for mid-sized cars, Camry sales were at a six-year low in the wake of a new model announcement that sort of makes sense, but it was the same stat for the Nissan Altima and the Hyundai Sonata, and the Ford Fusion and the Chevy Malibu are not looking much better. So, logic stands, if this trend continues, in 10 months, automakers will officially be paying consumers to take mid-sized cars since they don't have enough crossovers to go around. To that point, one of the key takeaways from the automotive news interviews at the National Auto Dealers Association's conference was the shortage of crossovers at dealerships across the country. Uh, it seemed that regardless of the dealership's brand affiliation, dealers were complaining that they just had the wrong mix of cars on their lots. 
That is to say, not enough crossovers and way too many mid-sized cars, which we just heard are not selling. And this isn't just crossovers. They're missing trucks and diesels, too. They're saying basically that anything that sucks gas at an elevated rate, consumers are willing to buy, and they need to get those on their lots. To that point, Chevy has announced uh, several weeks of downtime for their Lordstown, Ohio plant, which uh, produces their cruise models. Uh, This is in the follow-up to last year's elimination of the third shift on the cruise line, which affected uh, 1,200 workers. Uh, Sales of the cruise have apparently declined every year since its debut in 2014, which is typical for cars, but uh, the uh, supply on hand at dealerships is apparently wildly in excess of uh, Chevy's goals. So it's not sure how many several weeks of downtime there will be or how many jobs this will affect. But Lordstown employees looking for jobs should probably get a move on to either a Toyota plant or one of GM's other plants uh, down in Mexico before Trump's wall goes up. Uh, Mexican President Enrique Pianinero recently announced that he is happy to take immigrants, unlike some people. Uh, Faraday Future, meanwhile, is back in the news again. Uh, hey, do you guys remember when Las Vegas threw money at Faraday Future and their promised mega factory? Well, it's coming, but you may need to adjust your definition of mega. Um, originally planned as a 3 million square foot facility, the new plans call for a 650,000 square foot plant, so about one-fifth of the original size. Las Vegas says it's still going to be pouring money into the Apex Business Center infrastructure regardless of Faraday Future in order to just build up the area, which is great since those totally, completely real cars that Faraday Future will be rolling out next year will need some roads to get their totally, completely real customers out on. In a follow-up to a story from last week about the larger hydrogen consortium that was announced, uh, Honda and GM have announced this week that they both are partnering to spend about $85 million on a new fuel cell car. Uh, and this money is going both to uh, new small fuel cell tech, but also to infrastructure developments. Now, currently there are about 25 hydrogen stations in California with 17 more in development, and funding exists for about 100 stations in California. Uh, This is behind other countries like Japan, where uh, Honda is working on fuel cell vehicles. They have 80 stations, and the government there has a goal of getting 40,000 fuel cell vehicles on the road by 2020, which is just three years away. Um, these, uh, gas stations and the infrastructure and the vehicles are all funded through public-private partnerships, which I don't think have a snowball's chance in hell of happening here, given, uh, the recent election. But it's interesting to see that, uh, Toyota and GM are still pushing forward with this. Um, there's a quote from Toyota Advanced Technologies Group National Manager Craig Scott. He said, Hydrogen's an important long-term technology initiative for Toyota. When we launched the Mirai, our president, Akio Toyota, explained that hydrogen represents the next 100 years for us. The transition to carbon-free fuels and zero-emission vehicle technology will happen over a period of time that's measured in decades, not years. Um, Car and Driver has a real great in-depth write-up on fuel cell vehicles in America, and I encourage you to go check it out. 
Um, and, and that's uh, larger than just this Honda and GM partnership. But it's really great to see that uh, not only do Honda and GM have an interest in pushing forward this uh, partnership, but Toyota has really uh, uh, backed it fully in Japan. And I'm really hoping that the hydrogen infrastructure starts to take off here. Um, meanwhile, a reporter asked Trump for his thoughts on fuel cells, uh, to which he responded, if it's Mexican gas, then it should be in jail. Um, are used car prices going to be falling? Uh, according to the Automotive News, it's been forecast for years, but used prices still remain higher than they were pre-recession. Uh, this is a combination of new car incentives making new cars more attractive and used vehicle prices staying so high that it wasn't incrementally worth it to buy a used car when a new car was just a little bit more expensive. New vehicle lease volume, meanwhile, grew 62% between 2012 and 2015, which means that off-lease volume is fueling a sharp growth in the total used vehicle supply, which, of course, supply and demand. When there's more supply, there will be less demand, so prices will go down. Um, J.D. Powers project projected this to grow the market from 11.9 million vehicles in 2015 to 14.5 million vehicles next year in 2018. Now, the sharp rise in new car prices due to border adjustment taxes could fuel used car sales, which would keep prices high, but leases will continue to grow in popularity as people want to drive cars they can't afford to buy new, which I'll touch on again in a bit. But, I mean, the best way to determine if a used car value is going to stay high is just to ask me, because chances are if I like a car, it's not going to be remotely affordable, even used. That's just my luck. Uh, another story to come out of the National Auto Dealers Association was that dealers themselves are going to start taking it to Trump. Um, after automakers came out of the, against the proposed uh, border adjustment tax, dealers are now speaking up. Incoming chairman of the American International Automotive Dealer Association, Paul Ritchie, said at a recent luncheon at the NADA, uh, this tax will absolutely devastate both dealers and manufacturers, and many members of Congress have no idea what they're being asked to vote for, which is terrifying. Tariffs and, charge, tariffs and changes in tax code favoring exports will drive up car prices, which means uh, fewer sales, meaning less money for dealers, and fewer jobs for salespeople, potentially. Um, this could affect thousands of jobs. And the Automotive News quoted uh, Toyota CEO Jim Lentz as reiterating that border adjustment tax could raise the Camry price by $1,000. If that doesn't sound like a lot, then consider that with 75% of the car's materials sourced from within the U.S. and being assembled completely in Kentucky, the Toyota Camry, the Toyota Camry has the highest percentage of American-made parts of any car currently for sale in the U.S. Let that sink in for a minute and then go back to wondering why there are still people in powerful positions who think this is a good idea. It's amazing. Anyway, moving on to some new cars. So despite there not being any auto shows this week, uh, I do have another new bloody crossover to tell you about. Um, this is the Range Rover Velar, 
which will slot in between the Evoke and the Range Rover. It's being stupidly called a mid-sized SUV coupe, despite having four doors. Uh, Four-door coupe is one of my least favorite automotive terms. Uh, this will be closely related to the Jaguar F-Pace and is supposed to complete with the Porsche Macan, which I think I mentioned before I've only seen two of out on the road. Uh, Range Rover says it will be capable off-road but targets the, quote, lifestyle vehicle market, end quote. Um, this, of course, means insufferable posers who want to look rugged and adventurous even though they keep a pair of nail clippers and comb in their pocket instead of a Swiss army knife. Uh, you can expect to see these in driveways of expensive, but not top-tier suburbs, uh, coming later this year. If uh, small SUVs aren't really your thing, and they shouldn't be because they're stupid, um, Range Rover will now build you a, uh original Range Rover. Um, through their Range Rover Reborn program, uh, Land Rover is assembling new cars with all the same parts as the original Range Rovers, which of course means... You get a carbureted V8 engine cranking out a somewhat unbelievable 132 horsepower mated to a four-speed manual transmission. Range Rovers say that they are only going to make 10 of them to start, and starting at $170,000 a piece, presumably buyers will be able to afford the inevitable repairs because despite being renowned for their versatility, there was something Range Rovers were not renowned for. What? what oh, oh, yeah. Reliability. Uh, if you remember the Swedish company Saab, you will be seeing some similar cars out on the road in China soon. Um, the Saab uh, assets were apparently bought by National Electric Vehicle Sweden, um, which is Chinese-based. And they are launching an all-electric version of the 9.3 models. That's the old 9.3 that they sold here, uh, which will go on sale in China this year. It's really only the body that they have in common with the original Saab cars. They're going to be built in China and intended only for the Chinese and Swedish markets. So we won't be seeing them on our shores. But this does make two things that China and Sweden share. Um, new non-Saab Saabs and meatballs with meat of questionable origin in them. And that is it for the news this week, so let's go on ahead with our deep dive segment. start out this week with a simple question. Cheap sports cars. Now, if you happen to come across my iPad or phone any given evening, it'll probably be open to Edmunds or Autolist or Autotrader or Craigslist because if I have one real obsession, it's Paula Cole's music. But if I had a second obsession, it would be car shopping for cars I will probably never buy. I'll spend time listening to various exhaust sounds or looking up interior photos, daydreaming of what it would be like owning different cars. But that's where the dream ends, and that's primarily down to cost. I'd love to be the type of guy who constantly has a carousel of fun cars in his driveway and garage, being bought and sold every few months 
to constantly be trying something new in search of my new favorite vehicle. And truth be told, there's a lot out there on the used market to love. From Toyota MR2s, Supras, and even Celicas to Mitsubishi Evolutions, the 3000 GT, the Nissan 280Z, 300Z, or 240SX, there are no shortage of options, and it's truly impossible to choose, but often the choosing is done for me. Good examples of these cars are becoming more difficult to find, and the sellers who know they have a real gem are gouging the hell out of the price, and they can get away with it. Because there's an IT help desk analyst out there somewhere without 70 grand in grad school debt who can afford to buy his dream car, and I don't begrudge him that ability. I'm just envious that the opportunity isn't mine. But thinking about any of those cars I mentioned before, the only one that still lives on today is the 300Z in the form of its long-in-the-tooth now grandchild, the lovely 370Z. And what's its competition? When we talk about coupes with around 300 horsepower for around 30 grand, we have the 370Z, the Mustang, Camaro, and I guess the Challenger if you're into fat chicks. Maybe the BMW 2 Series coupe if you go absolutely bare bones, but any other German car and you're talking north of 40. You could also go with the GT86 or Subaru BRZ, but then you're looking at a little more than half the power for only slightly less money. So you have four or five options. You could spend more or get less. And when you talk about new cars coming out, the news doesn't get much better. When it came out in 2003, the G35 Coupe cost around 30 grand, but you can't buy a new Q60 30.0T for less than 48. And the new Supra sounds like it's more poised to go after the GTR than the 390Z, or whatever it's going to be called. When the Mark IV, fully loaded with twin turbos and a six-speed, had an MSRP of 45000 in 1994, which, granted, would be rather more in today's money. That's not to say cheap speed can't be had. After all, we have the Ford Fiesta and Focus STs, the Subaru WRX and GTI out there vying for our affections, but these are fast sedans or hatchbacks. As sporty as they may be, they remain not sports cars. They are fantastic vehicles built to haul things other than just ass, which I appreciate, but at the same time resent, because they're inherently compromises between performance and practicality. Sports cars bear no real other purpose than to offer their drivers entertainment. The enthusiast community freaks out because Mercedes-Benz have announced that they're going to sell their 2018 E36S as a wagon in the U.S., and I get it. Wagons are cool. I grew up in them, and I'd, I'd love to drive a V70R, but the new Mercedes is going to retail for at least $104,000, and who has that kind of money? We're talking top 1% money right there, which I realize with our current president that top 1% may be increasingly capable of affording such cars, even with an import tariff. If you want to spend more than hundred grand on a sports car, you're spoiled for choice. But if you're one of the rest of us, the 99%, someone without a trust or the need for something that can fit a baby seat, it's slim pickings. Sports car sales have been falling, and production in the Mustang and Camaro had both been idled recently to account for excess of cars on lots. But I don't think that's down to lack of interest in these cars. I think it's a lack of choice and affordability. Sure, you can spend 25 to 30 grand on a Mustang, but only if you want the Echo Boost motor. The GT Premium will still put you up near 40. And it didn't used to be this way. Back before the days of crossovers. But I think it's a damn shame that we've wound up here. 
with the choice of three pony cars or a Nissan Z, and unfortunately, I just don't see it getting any better. And with that, we're going to kick it over to the Post-Truth News Channel. Here you go, PTC News. This is PTC News. Dealerships in Britain are bracing for the effects of Brexit, which is expected to result in a steep increase in prices of cars being imported. Being as the production of cars within England largely ended in the 1980s, this means the UK will be dependent on its trading partners to ease tariffs. One such partner will likely be the United States because of its long-standing special relationship with the UK. Perhaps tired of coming to Britain's aid, though, all cars produced in the United States and sent to Great Britain will, instead of a horn, feature a loudspeaker that reminds pedestrians that if it weren't for us, you'd all be speaking German! To the announcement that Saab vehicles would resume production in China, rumours speculate that automotive brand Saturn could make a comeback as well. Again, to be produced in China, new Saturns would likely possess similar attributes to the vehicles produced by the former General Motors company. These include plastic door panels, inexpensive repair costs, and interiors that make owners wish they were actually dying on the frozen wastelands of the surface of the planet Saturn. In preparation for the upcoming F1 season, Kimi Raikkonen has resumed fitness training by taking up fencing. A sport of understatement, fencing permits Kimi the ability to prod his opponents without saying much, which is fairly similar to his activities during the racing season. That's all from PTC News. Thanks again to our broadcast partner, PTC News, for that update. That brings us to this week's call to action. Now, it's been another tough week in the news, and I think it's really easy to get depressed about many things going on, both in the world and in our communities. What's harder, though, is to see through the fog of dread and reflect on what it is that we have right now, and to feel grateful both for what we have and what we've accomplished. To use an automotive analogy, we may not be driving the car we want to be in right now, and our car may be shifted into reverse and we're collectively starting to jam on the pedal, but look out at the road and see everything that's behind us. Let's be happy for what we have today, not just because of the sense of accomplishment it brings us, but because nobody knows how long what we have right now is going to last. And with that, thank you for listening, and thanks to Nicholas Falcon again for our intro song, it may not be cool in these days of cheap gas and record-breaking SUV sales, but there's a special place in my heart for small turbocharged four-cylinder motors, and they don't get much better than when they're put in rally cars. Here's the sound of Werner Weiss in his Zach Speed Ford Escort Mark II DBA in Switzerland. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. Yeah.